welcome to our online service for this weekend. Uh, we are glad to, uh, to have you tuning in wherever you may be, whether you're at home or listening to the podcast in the car. Uh, today we are recording in the building at Kingsway. And uh, just before we get started, I'd love to just ask you a question for those who are watching uh, online. What do you prefer? The last couple of weeks where it's been uh, recorded at home or uh, at Kingsway, or maybe you don't care either way. But if you could, could you just put that in the comments down at the, uh, on the bottom there? Just write right in there. Just like, hey, at home or at Kingsway or... Uh, wherever it's all good, uh, we would, uh, just curious as to, to your thoughts and how we can uh, hopefully continue to create great online content for you. So uh, to, to that end, let's jump right in today. We've, we are actually in a series that I didn't really intend to be a series. It's called A Lot of Life Lessons from the Life of Lot. And uh, I just thought it was kind of a clever play on words when I began. It was only going to be one, but here we are on week three. And uh, we have been studying the, um, the life of a guy named Lot, who was Abraham's uh, nephew. Everyone knows Abraham. Not everybody knows Lot. Lot's kind of like the bad example. The one that, you know, you learn lessons from his life that, that hopefully you learn from his mistakes so that you don't repeat them. Well, in week one, we learned uh, from, from Lot's life that if you go against your conscience, it changes you. And we learned that Lot uh, had pitched his tent close to uh, Sodom and then eventually moved into Sodom. And his whole life was affected by it. And we saw that the end of his life, living uh, alone in a cave with his daughters, scared of, scared of the world around him. We'll see that again tonight. But it was because he went against his conscience. And we were encouraged to, to uh, learn from that lesson. And then in... Uh, Week two, last week, we talked about how Abram and Lot had a uh, dispute that led to them parting ways and uh, parting fellowship. And, and we talked about how that can happen today, too. And our, our hope is that even though there's going to be disputes in our lives and disputes with people, that it wouldn't always lead to division, that we would focus on who unites us rather than on what divides us. And uh, if you didn't have a chance to listen to those, I would encourage you to go on online and check them out. And so today we're uh, in part three, uh, because I realized that there's more to learn. And when I said last week, a lot of this stuff is because it's what just jumped out to me personally. Um, and, and my hope is by sharing some of what the Lord is speaking in my heart and doing in my life, that that, that, that benefits you as well. But my prayer is that you'd hear his voice for you. That as you study his word, you'd hear him speaking, prompting, drawing on your heart uh, as to, to what you're um, supposed to do and, and uh, where to go. So, you know, before we, uh, before we get to the life of law today, I just, uh, just want to ask you this question. Have you ever, have you ever um, wondered uh, what it would be like to read your own obituary? Have you ever thought of what it would be like to write, maybe write your own eulogy? You're like, most of us, I would guess the answer is no, uh, because it seems like a bit of a morbid thought. And you're like, well, I, no, I don't think I've ever thought of that. Well, I recently read the story of Alfred Noble, and uh, he was a, a brilliant scientist. He was an inventor, an extremely wealthy man, lived in the 1800s. Um, he actually held many patents uh, for his inventions, and one of those patents was for dynamite, uh, which they used in construction and, of course, in warfare as well. Um, by the end of his life, he owned close to 100 ammunition and armament factories. This guy became super wealthy, creating destructive things. In 1888, uh, one morning, 1888, he picked up the newspaper, and as he was reading the newspaper, he read that he had died. And he looked at it, and he's like, realized that he was still alive. And, and, but he continued to read at what they wrote about him in the newspaper. And uh, the words that described him was this, the merchant of death is dead. 
Dr. Alfred Noble, who became rich by finding ways to kill more people faster than ever before, died yesterday. The truth is, it was actually his brother Ludwig who had, who had died in France of a heart attack. But thanks to the poor reporting of the French newspapers, I mean, poor reporting and news has been going on since, since news began. They had, they had believed it to be Alfred and had written it as so. You know, the biographer, uh, Kenneth Fant, I'm not exactly sure how to pronounce that name, but uh, wrote later about Noble and said that Noble had become so obsessed with this posthumous reputation that he rewrote his last will and testament. And in it, he actually outlined a plan to devote the vast majority of his estate, which was valued about $265 million today, to a series of prizes for those who had conferred the greatest benefit on mankind in the previous year. You and I would now know them because they become famous as the Nobel Prizes. You know, he may not have won a Nobel Peace Prize for his life, but he was so charged by what he read in his obituary that he wanted, he wanted to change what he was remembered for. And most of you would know him because of the Nobel Prizes. You know, as I think about that, I think I wonder, you know, what would, what would we read in a newspaper if something, somebody wrote, hey, so-and-so died yesterday? As you're thinking about that, keep that in your mind. Let's just go back to the life of Lot, and you'll find it in Genesis 19. So if you're new to the Bible, just open it up right to the front. And, you know, the first book's Genesis, and 19 chapters in, you'll find out uh, where we were. This is a portion of it. And um, as we learned last week, God had sent a couple messengers to warn Lot that his life was in imminent danger, that he needed to leave where he was. And so let's read together. Genesis 19. We're going to be reading from verse 17 all the way to 26, and then verse 29 to 30. We're going to skip a couple verses in there, which is all right. Um, but we're going to read it all, and then we'll come back and chat about, uh, about what, we've, what we've seen. So here we go. When they, verse 17, when they were safely out of the city, one of the angels ordered, run for your lives and don't look back and don't stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the mountains or you will be swept away. Verse 18, oh no, my Lord, Lot begged. You have been so gracious to me and saved my life and you've shown such great kindness, but I cannot go to the mountains. Disaster would catch up to me there and I would soon die. See, there's a small village nearby. Please let me go there instead. Don't you see how small it is? Well, then my life will be saved. Verse 21, all right, the angel said. I will grant your request. I will not destroy that little village, but hurry, escape to it, for I can do nothing until you arrive there. This actually explains why that village was known as Zoar, which means little place. Verse 23, Lot reached the village just as the sun was rising over the horizon. In verse 24, the Lord rained down fire and burning sulfur from the sky on Sodom and Gomorrah. He utterly destroyed them, along with the other cities and villages of the plain, wiping out all the people and every bit of vegetation. Verse 26, but Lot's wife looked back as she was following behind him and she turned into a pillar of salt. You skip ahead three verses to verse 29, but God listened or had listened to Abraham's request and kept Lot safe, (laughs) removing him uh, from the disaster that engulfed the cities on the plain. Verse 30, afterward Lot left Zoar because he was afraid. He was afraid of the people there and he went to live in a cave in the mountains with his two daughters. You know, as we read this account of scripture, and one maybe not super familiar with, the messenger's message to Lot was simply this. We're saving you from destruction, so go. Don't look back and don't stop. Just go. Go. And we see 
Lot's response to that. I mean, we learned last week that he was hesitant about, about leaving uh, the, the town. And, and, uh, but now the angels of the messengers, uh, those words are interchangeable, brought him out and said, here, you're free right now. You're safe right now. Go. Don't look back. Don't stop. But what's Lot's response? Verse 18, we read about Lot's response where he's like, thank you for saving me. Maybe we can throw that up on the screen. Verse 18 to 20. Thanks for saving me, he says, but, but I can't do that. He's like, I'm, I'm, he even says, thank you, Lord, you know, for saving me, but, but I, I can't do that. I can't go to the mountains. You know, when you live in a culture uh, of compromising your conscience, it changes you. And we see that with Lot. He'd been living in this culture where he was compromising his conscience and it had changed him. It had changed him. You know, Lot was probably saying to, to them, you know, yeah, run to them. I can't do that. That requires an all-in attitude. And, you know, to be honest, I'm just not there yet. Can I just go like halfway? You know, my kids uh, had hung out with their cousins recently and their cousins taught them how to play poker. And so they came home, dad, do you know how to play poker? And I was like, how do you know how to play poker? And so we sat down to play, you know, some poker, no money is involved. And we, you know, I had to see how, how well they were. We had some chips and different things to, to play with. And as we're playing, I, uh, I, I uh, back in the day learned this, this trick, you know, that on the first hand, you just go all in. Doesn't matter what you have because everyone else, they haven't, they're not wise to your tactics yet. And they, they were like, we're not going all in on the first hand, right? And so they, uh, they lose the money, the, the chips that they put in at the beginning. So I now have some chips. Well, now I have more chips than everyone else at the table. So of course, as the next hand gets dealt, what do I do? I go all in because none of them have what I have. So they can't even match my bet and I can take all their chips and go all in and go all in until one of them, of course, ends up with a hand that's better than mine, plays it and, and I lose, right? So, but that all in attitude, when you're talking about these chips, I mean, it doesn't really matter. Like it doesn't, doesn't like nothing's gained, nothing's lost. Um, when, you, when you do that. But with Lot and this, this all-in attitude, we're talking about life here. He's like saying, you know, <laughs> I, don't, I don't have this all-in attitude yet. I just, I, just let me go halfway. And not only did it affect Lot, it affected his wife, it affected his daughters. You know, as you read, we read that as, as they were leaving, say, don't look back and don't stop. What happens with Lot's wife is she turns around and looks back and she turns into a pillar of salt. I remember as a kid, like this was one of those weird ones, uh, stories in kids church. That was like one of, one of those favorites, you know, it's like, you just, you think about like, what would it be like to see like a person? Did they, she look still like a person or was she just like this tall pillar of salt? And I remember the story of, you know, this being told and little, little Johnny, uh, you know, being in, in class. And as the teacher's telling his Sunday school, uh, this story, he's like, yeah, teacher, teacher, you know, well, my mom, you know, when she was driving, she looked back and she turned into a telephone pole. And I think, you know, it's always just sticks with me that the thought of looking back and, and what happens. What happens in our lives? What, what, what can happen? Some of you are like, you know, this is like a long time ago. It's kind of a strange story. What does it have to do with my, my life today, 4,000 some years later? The truth is a lot. Because Jesus, the one we follow, the one, the son of God who gave his life and rose from the dead, uh, punctuated everything he said with the resurrection. He's the one who talks about this, where it applies to our lives directly. This all-in attitude. Luke, who was, um, whose um, account we're going to read, 
Luke was a historian and a doctor in the first century. He wanted to, um, to, he wanted to create an accurate account for people like you and me to be able to read. Uh, so we have an idea of, of who Jesus was. And he wasn't an eyewitness, but he asked a number of eyewitnesses, tell me, the, tell me what you saw, tell me what you heard. And, and here's what he writes in Luke chapter 9, Luke 9, verse 57. If you can go there with me, it would be great. He says this, uh, as they were walking along, and, and Matthew writes about how the fact that there was a crowd going along, you know, Jesus' popularity was high, and uh, he was about to explain to them that the cost of following him was high as well. He, so as they're walking along in this crowd, someone says to Jesus, says, Jesus, I'm going to follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replied, yeah, foxes have dens to live in, you know, and birds, they have nests. But the son of man, referring to himself, he has no place to even lay his head. You sure you're ready to follow me? He said to another person, he said, yeah, hey, you, come follow me. And the man agreed, but he said, but, but Lord, let me first return home and bury my father. To which Jesus' response was, let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. Your duty is to go and preach about the kingdom of God. And then finally, you know, another said, yes, Lord, I'm going to follow you. But first, let me say goodbye to my family. And just remember that. And Jesus told them, anyone who puts his hand to the plow and then looks back isn't fit for the kingdom of God. You know, as a rural community, farmers, they would have understood immediately what he meant when he said he who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not, not fit for the, for the kingdom. He's not fit for this work. You know, they had, uh, uh, the way they would till their ground was a small plow, maybe we'd call it, it's like a stick that goes into the ground. It's pulled by, you know, a pair of oxen or a pair of donkeys and it looks something like this. But the, the one hand, they would control the plow. On the other hand, they would try and, you know, control the, the animals. And, uh, but if they, if they were to look back, it wouldn't take a second for that thing to begin to veer off course, whether at the plow or at the animals pulling it. But as good, you know, Jewish uh, people who had been raised on the Torah and the stories of the Old Testament, they also would have, uh, probably many of them would have linked in their minds to the famous story of Elijah and Elisha. You know, where Elijah the prophet, the famous prophet, was calling Elisha to be his, to be his pupil, his, uh, his uh, understudy. And as he went to call Elisha, Elisha was a farmer. And so Elijah the prophet comes up to Elisha, who's plowing with a pair of oxen. Or, and as he's, as he's there, um, uh, Elijah walks up to him and, and tells him, hey, come follow me. Come follow me. And what is, what is Elisha's response? You can read about it in, I believe it's in 1 Kings 19. He, you can, he, he says to him, okay, but, but let me go say goodbye to my family first. See, the very same thing that this man had said to Jesus. Oh, let me go say goodbye to my family first. And Elijah permits him to go, to go do that. But, as, but, uh, but it says that before he does that, Elisha returns to his plow. He slaughters the oxen and he burns the meat on the wooden plow. What is he saying? He's like, yeah, hey, I'm going to go say goodbye to my family, but I, I have, I'm all in. Like, I'm not returning back to this plow. There's nothing for me to go back to. I'm, I'm all in. I'm all in. You know, there's a business fable or story that's told uh, of just encouraging, encouraging people in businesses to, to whether they're, um, uh, how, how engaged they are in their, in their uh, company, in their work. And they tell the story of a pig and a chicken. Uh, and the, the story goes like this, that a pig and a chicken were walking by a, a local church that was having a charity. They were raising money and accepting food donations uh, f- to provide meals to the poor. And so the pig looks at the chicken and says, hey, that sounds like a good cause. We should contribute. And uh, the chicken's like, yeah, agreed. Let's donate breakfast to them. How about we give them, you know, bacon and eggs? And the 
pig right away is like, whoa, not so fast. You know, that for you, that's a contribution. For me, that's a total commitment. And they would use it in business to say, you know, are you just a contributor to this or are you totally committed to the outcome? I think that's Jesus, that's Jesus' lesson for the crowd that day and the lesson for us, I believe, too. Is that, you know, how, which one are we more like? Are we, you know, in the sense of saying we're willing to make a contribution or are we, you know, we're willing to be involved or is it total commitment? Total commitment. I know those are some, some words that may sting to the heart because Jesus is really saying to them and to us that following me is an all-in kind of deal. It's an all-in kind of deal. And if you, you know, that thought of the, the, the plow where he said to them about the plow, if you, if you jump in, but then you're always looking back, you know, you're always looking back at the things that draw you away. He says, it's going to go badly for you. You know, the, the, the idea of following Jesus all in is that idea of being, you know, all in uh, from the start throughout the, throughout the whole thing to the end. How do you do it? It's that idea of keeping your eyes forward keeping your eyes on the prize, keeping your eyes ahead. I learned this lesson uh, the hard way this, this week. Last weekend, I was out. Um, my, my brother-in-law said, hey, you want to go down, canoeing down the creek with us? And I was like, yeah, sure. That sounds good. I thought, what a great opportunity to take my daughter out on this nice canoe ride. So I took my daughter and my niece, and there was five other canoes, and we, were, we put, it, put canoes in the creek. But with all the rain we had, the water was really high. The current was really strong. Uh, but the nature was beautiful and it was great. It, we were having a great time and, and heading down there and avoiding different obstacles along the way. Well, then we came to this spot where there's a campsite on the left. And as we kind of all, you know, they said, hey, look at the campsite. And so we're all looking at the campsite, not realizing that dead ahead in, uh, in front of us is a tree right in the middle of the of the, the river. And sure enough, we hit the uh, tree head on, the boat goes over, I hit the tree and this is me. Uh, and my, you know, uh, people are like, oh, it looks scary, you know, and, and my kids were like, now I can see my little scar, you know, my kids were hoping that the scar was going to be like a lightning bolt shape because I just actually got some spectacle glasses and they thought it'd be hilarious if dad resembles Harry Potter, somebody that he just totally dislikes. Uh, so, but, but I realized by not keeping my eyes, by not keeping my eyes on what was in front of me, disaster can happen. Fortunately, it wasn't the end of the world. But, you know, so often there's those, those same things where there's these distractions to, to look back, to look away, to, to uh, draw our attention somewhere else, and, and it affects our lives. It's what happened with Lot's wife. And what was the message from the messengers? Don't look back and don't stop. Don't look back, don't stop. What do I learn from the, the, the life lesson of Lot? Is that that all-in attitude is what Jesus is looking for. Not just how you start, but, but how, you, how you run the whole journey, how you finish. You know, at times, following Jesus is actually going to cause you to go against the flow. The flow of culture, the flow of everyone else around you, but are you all in? Am I all in? You know, oftentimes our faith can be countercultural. It, it, goes, it, it goes against the norm, and it's not so that we can be, you know, against um, culture or anti-everything. That, that's not what that is. What it, what it is is realizing that man's answers to man's problems rarely lead to lasting solutions because broken can't fix broken. 
It, it can't. What happens? We, we come up with a cure to racism that only ends up in more racism. We come up with a cure to poverty, you know, that often just ends up leading to people becoming workaholics and sacrificing their family in, in, the, in the process. We have all kinds of cures that we come up with for all of these ailments and stuff and end up leading to just, just greater, greater disasters time and time again. It goes on and on. But that commitment to Christ uh, and to his life, it's actually going to cause you to, to take different paths than, than what anybody else would logically think is, is the right way to go. For instance, he'd say things like, love your enemies. And you're like, that, that, that doesn't make sense. That, that's, not, that's not what you, 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 you go for revenge. You don't, you don't try and bless those who persecute you. You, know, you don't pray for those who spitefully use you. Forgive 70 times seven. Ah, man, that, that, that doesn't sound like maybe seven, but 70 times seven. Give to the poor. Don't store up for treasures for yourself on, uh, here on earth. Don't even look at race as if, it, as if it matters. And on and on and on it goes. Time after time, all in is going to look very different than everything else going on around you. You know, Paul, in his final letter to Timothy, we read it through our Read Through the Bible this week. He wrote about finishing his race. And you just see his heart at the end of his journey, the end of his life journey, he's writing from prison. He, he knows that his time is short. And he writes this to Timothy, 2 Timothy 4, verse 7 to 8. He says to Timothy, I have fought the good fight and I have finished the race. I've remained faithful. Verse 8, and now the prize awaits me. The crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. You know, it's not just about being all in uh, at the start of the race. All in is the attitude of how you need to run and finish the race. And when I say you, I mean me as well. That's how, that's how we are. You know, uh, it's, it's going to be a little interesting to try this next part here, but, but just by show of hands, I just, you know, even if you're at home or if you're driving, just use one hand, but by show of hands, raise your hand if you know who um, Akani Simbini is. Do you know who Akani Sambini is? Raise your hand. Do you know who Johan Blake is? If you've heard the name Ben Youssef Mati, raise your hand. How about Usain Bolt? Ha! Huh. How can we know that name? How can we know uh, Usain Bolt's name? What you may not realize is that, even though I've probably butchered the pronunciation of their names, all of those men ran in the 2016 uh, Olympic uh, 100 meter uh, race. And all of them ran the race in less than 10 seconds, which is incredible. But we only really know the name of one. Why? Because of how he finished the race. He was the one who finished in first place. He's the one who was, I mean, they were all in, but that's the name that gets, that, that gets remembered. You know, I, I uh, was challenged with this thought of the, the, the remembering of people. You know, there's a song by Toby Mack that he just writes uh, these lyrics, Till the Day I Die. Uh, we don't have time to go through the whole thing, but definitely worth listening to. He writes in this song, these words, I can't stop, I can't quit. It's in my heart, I'm all in. There's a spot in the middle where he just says, one of them's just speaking to the believers, that God's not a crutch that you can use him when you want to. You only look to heaven when you're going through some drama. And when they're going through some problems and that's the only time they call him, I guess I don't understand that life. Wonder why? Because I'm all in till the day I die. And I like even get goosebumps just quoting those lyrics. 
Because there's just something so inspirational about that type of life. The ones who are like, man, I am, I'm all in. I'm all in. Regardless of whether their names are remembered or not, I'm all in. And I, I, I don't know about you, but I'm inspired by people like that. And then as I think, you know, this, this week, we celebrate or we remember Remembrance Day, November 11th. And, uh, you know, as I thought about Remembrance Day, and just as they prepare for the service that they do around the, um, the Cenotaph in Jarvis, every year they read out these names. As I went over the list of names, you know, names like uh, from World War I, like Andrew Doughty and Fred and Edward Hewitt. They're from this area. I don't know their names. I don't even know who they were, who their relatives are. But them and a bunch of others, we read their names every year to not forget those names. World War II, Edwin McKean, James Miller, Berkeley Mitchell, the Air Force, Edward Chapman, Robert Lang, and Kenneth Slater. People's names that we read that we're not sure of, of their story or of their life, but we know that they lived and we also know that they were men and women whose lives were all in for the cause of freedom. They were the, the, their lives were literally the price of freedom. And so today, I would just always, as always, would want to encourage us, you know, as Canadians, not to forget the price of freedom. You know, there's the thought that eternal vigilance is now the price of freedom. That's our part to play. Eternal vigilance for, is, the, is the price of freedom. And, you know, I'd also say this. Don't forget the taste of freedom. And you might say, why do you say that? You know, we, don't forget what it's like to be truly free where we, you know, we're able to live under the charter of rights and freedoms, that, we, that those things weren't infringed upon, where there was true freedom. Don't forget what that tastes like, especially for the sake of the next generations uh, coming after us, to realize what freedom really is. You know, we'll probably talk about the next generations next week. And then finally, don't forget the cost of freedom, that it was the, the, the freedom that we've had the chance to enjoy for so long came at the cost of people's lives. Real lives, really given. Why? Because they were, they were all in. Man, I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for that. So in closing, I just want to finish with this. That Jesus also talked about that word, cost. The cost of following him. And as I talk about this, I wonder sometimes if we've really truly considered, considered what it means. That, that consider the cost of what following Christ actually looks like. You know, Luke chapter 14, Luke once again writes the eyewitness account. Verse 25, he says, This a large crowd was following Jesus because everywhere he went, there was crowds. And he turned around and said to this crowd, Hey, if you want to be my disciple, what's he saying? Hey, if you want to be more than just in the crowd, if you want to be more than involved, if you want to be totally committed, if you want to follow me to be my disciple, a disciplined follower, he says, then you must, by comparison, hate everyone else. Your father, your mother, your wife, your children, your brothers and sisters. Yes, even your own life. Like, whoa, that is like hard words. Well, they definitely seem difficult. They definitely seem difficult. But he says, he says but otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. He's not calling for hatred at all. He's just saying that, hey, my devotion and my total commitment to Christ, nothing will come against that. Nothing will cause me to, to look back. Nothing will cause me to stop. And he says, and if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you can't be my disciple. But don't begin until you count the cost. You know, that all-in attitude, it sounds great in theory, but it's not easy to live out. You know, you think about the picture of carrying a cross. 
Back then, they would have recognized and then realized because they'd seen it you know, probably hundreds of times, a, a person carrying the cross beam, uh, the, the horizontal beam, carrying it to the place where they would end up um, putting it on, uh, on the vertical beam, and that would be the end of their journey on this planet. But Jesus was saying, this is a picture of dying to self and that, that all of the things around us that tempt us to look back, it's like, no, I'm, I'm dying to all of that. And all the people and persecution uh, around us that tempt us to stop, no, you know what, I'm dying to that because I, I, I'm all in. I'm all in. And I wonder, I wonder sometimes if we are. I wonder sometimes if I am. And I think it's a good question for us to consider you know, and then finally, I think about the most amazing uh, thing. I, I guess that's the, the question that Jesus would ask. You know, you, are you all in? Are you all in? Well, the most amazing part of it is that Jesus didn't just say it. He did it. You know, famous people say, hey, do as I say, not as I do. Jesus is like, do as I say and as I do. Because I'm not just saying something. Here's what I'm doing. And just finish with this thought, like, I wonder, you know, what it could have looked like. And, and, and there's not, this is, you know, just an imagination of what it may have looked like. As Heavenly Father and Jesus created the planet with the Holy Spirit hovering over the waters and they create this perfect thing. And then to watch their most prized uh, creation, mankind, just decide that they want to go their own way, that they decide to part fellowship and that they begin to destroy everything. And as a result, sin, just like Pandora's box, takes over the planet. And the, the whole planet is now broken. And it's like looking in, you know, that they just look and realize, man, it was so perfect and it was so beautiful. And we had relationship with that was perfect and beautiful. And it's, it's just a mess. Have you ever, like, had a mess that you just look at and go, I, I, I don't even know where to start? Maybe you spill a can of paint in your house or you're just like, I, I, I don't even know what to do with this. I wonder if, you know, Heavenly Father and Jesus, you know, looked at each other and just like, man, what, what, do, we, what do we do with this? Man, it'd be just so much easier. Let's just like, you know what? Wipe it away. T- toss, this, toss this in the trash. Let's just, just, just do another one. Let's just make another one. But they didn't. You know, love compelled them to make a different decision. And as I picture them having this conversation, like, well, what, what, what can we do? And, and Heavenly Father just simply saying, well, there's one way. There is one way that we can fix this, but it's, it's not going to be pleasant. And Jesus leaning in, yeah, okay, what's the way? I have a plan. You know, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna do the original mission impossible. What seems like it's impossible, we're, we're going to do it. You know, the great exchange where, we're going to swap their darkness for light. And we're going to swap their hopelessness for hope. We're going, to, we're going to swap their unrighteousness for righteousness. We're going to swap their heart of stone for a heart of flesh. We're going to swap their sin for forgiveness. We're going to swap their slavery for freedom. And Jesus leaning in, yeah, this, this, sounds, this sounds good. This sounds, this sounds great. You know, how are we going to do that, Dad? We're going to swap your life for theirs, son. We're going to swap your life for theirs. And I think about that moment, and I picture there being silence. You know, as Jesus considers the cost of what it's going to take to go to a cross and lay down his life for mine. And I just picture him leaning over and saying, 
okay, they're worth it. So I'm all in. I'm all in. And I know that however that conversation happened, that end result is what happened. Because he came to this planet for us, lived a sinless, perfect life for us, allowed himself to be crucified for us, and then conquered my sin, my shame, my death by rising again from the dead. All on that cross, that cruel, cruel cross. And so what about you and what about me? What, what, what's our response to this invitation to be all in? I'll leave you the thoughts of a song. It's by a guy named Isaac Watts. Talked about some modern songs. We'll talk about an old one. He wrote about 750 hymns in the 1700s, and there's one that still grips me 300 years later. So I was preparing this. I, man, I was in tears just reading through these lyrics. I'm glad I got it out of the way because I hate crying on camera. But let me read these to you. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the prince of glory died, my richest gain I count but loss. I pour contempt on all my pride. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my God. All the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to his blood. See from his head, his hands, his feet, Sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet? Or thorns compose so rich a crown? Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were an offering far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. We all in? We started this talk by asking, what would it be like to write your own eulogy? Have you ever thought of it? It's the famous tale they tell of the dash on the tombstone. The start date and end date and the dash is your is your life. It's the inspiration for whatever someone's going to say about you on that day. I was just preparing this. I just had this thought. Could it be said about me? Here lies the body of a man who was all in. All in for his Savior. All in for Christ. And I realize that the next days and the next months and the next years will decide whether that can be said or not. And my prayer for us as his followers is that we would truly count the costs and say, yeah, it is worth it. We're all in. And not just in word, but as it gets difficult and things, challenges come up, we've already decided we're all in. We're all in. Can we pray? Heavenly Father, thank you for going all in for me. For truly and literally giving your life in my place. I'm grateful and I worship you tonight for your gift of love. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for calling me. God, I pray for the courage, for the courage required to live out the life you've called us to. I pray for my brothers and sisters. I pray for those who know that they need you, 
that they would count that cost of what it is to truly follow you. Realize that this world's got nothing to offer us. <laughs> Take the world, just give me Jesus. And I pray that today, right now in this moment, that what you trigger in our hearts, you know what you're doing in our lives, that we would step away from this time knowing that we're more deeply committed, <laughs> that, that, that we're more deeply committed to being all in. Jesus, we can only do that through the power of your spirit. And I'm grateful, grateful that you live in us. And it's because of you and for your glory that we have the chance to live this life. May you be glorified through our actions this week. May you be glorified through the relationship we have with you this week. Pray it in your name. Amen. Amen. We have a chance to uh, circle up chat together, pray together. If you're in a home church, uh, I encourage you just to take some time to go over these questions together. Maybe you're just watching at home alone. I, the church is meant to be a gathering, so I would encourage you at some point, find a, find a chance to get together with some other people. Maybe it's uh, maybe to do it on the phone, but to take that opportunity to go through some of these and see what Holy Spirit wants to do even deeper in your heart today. So here they are, questions as always. What jumped out of you today um, from today's talk? And then uh, second, what do you wish your obituary or eulogy would say someday? If you had the chance, have you thought of it? What, what do you hope would be there uh, and, and maybe why? And then third, would you compare yourself more to the pig or the chicken? Sometimes regrettably I'd say I'm, I'm chicken. I'm chicken. And what, how about you and, and why? And then uh, fourth, what things in life tempt you to look back or to stop? You know, you hear the lessons from the life of Lot. Don't, don't look back and don't stop. What are the things that tempt you and, and, and why? And then finally, what can we pray about today? And, I, and I'm grateful that as his followers, you're an encouragement to one another. You definitely are an encouragement to me as well. I'm grateful for the opportunity to just look at his word together. Go live out in the freedom that you have in Christ this week. Be a light that shines bright for him as you live for him and with him. And just know that you are, loved by, uh, you are loved by the King, and we're grateful to be a part of his family together. And until uh, next time, we'll uh, yeah, just know we love you. We'll see you then.